Welcome, wombat folk and trolls, sorcerers and orcs, to Rated RPG, the fantasy role-playing podcast where we toss dice and have fun adventures with our friends. This is the Valley of Green Gold, episode 19. Previously in the Valley of Green Gold, we learned that Crow Island has earthquakes. Rokan Raskog, owner of Rokan's Respite, told the party that these tremors are caused by monsters messing around inside the island's abandoned mines. This angers the island, and then the earthquakes get stronger and more frequent until somebody goes into the mines and kills the monsters. When Wendell suggested that they should go into the mines and kill the monsters, Rokan laughed and suggested that maybe you'd get yourself killed. The party delivered the wagon load of empty bottles to Skull, thus paying off Clubhead's debt to a land called Tan. Skull was in the midst of a mental break when they found him, confusing the party for somebody named Barnaby, and the party helped the aging Tortle regain his grasp on reality. They also discovered the old wooden shoe post, a memorial of sorts on which townsfolk hang the shoes of their dead loved ones. Silbeth put a pair of shoes on the post in memory of Turley, and Clubhead took a pair of boots for himself. Returning to Merchant Harbor a few hours after the quake, the party arrived just in time for a big send-off in the town square. Three adventurers were embarking for the mines. A woman named Nikita Blade, a tattooed Goliath named Glorion Gloryseeker, and Alphonse, the guy who stabbed Bunny. Mayor Scout Schellenberg gave a highly positive speech, suggesting that all of the adventurers who go into the mines are heroes whose success in killing the monsters is all but guaranteed. But when the party spoke with him privately, the mayor revealed that there's a little bit more to it than that. Not every party that enters the mines survives. And then, screams were heard on the south end of town as a group of skeletons were attacking some farmers. The mayor implores the party to save the citizens, and Bunny, Clubhead, Silbeth, and Wendell rush into battle. This close to the mainland? I was very afraid we were gonna get rot grubs, to be honest with you. So, this is a lot better. Wow, we both got the same initiative roll. That's what? Dude, uh, <laughs> I'm going to just be running and getting in the thick of it, so I don't know if you have a like spell you want to pre-plan. I'm good to go either way. All right, so as you approach these five skeletons beating on the fence that's holding them from these three young farmers who are terrified, help us, help us, oh, thank goodness, help us down here, quick, come. Clubhead, you are the first to arrive close enough to do anything. What do you do? I am going to cast a brand new spell that I have called Fairy Fire. Of course, for me, it's called Fungus Fire. Fungus Fire. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he raises, uh, Clubhead raises his staff uh, up into the air and a just a bunch of bioluminescent spores just spew out from it, uh, covering all the skeletons unless they are able to... Uh, dodge out of the way. All right, what's your DC on that dodge? The DC is 13. Well, the good news is all five skeletons are going to have to make that saving throw. They're all close enough. You could maybe hit all of them with fungus fire. But the bad news is all five <laughs> skeletons oh my God. see you raise your hand. And maybe it's because it's the first time that you've used this ability, but the spores don't exactly launch out of the palm of your hand. They kind of drift giving the skeletons plenty of time to step aside and duck and dodge the spores. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Okay. Well, that was, uh, that was great. Good, good turn, me. Your lying has turned to sarcasm. It must be wearing off. <laughs> All right, so zombies and skeletons. I know with the zombies, like, they kept coming back because I want to do, like, a power bomb or something that'll, like, really break them down. First of all, give me a survival check. We'll see what you know. 19? You have broken a few bones in your day, <laughs> and you know that bludgeoning damage will break a bone. Oh, heck yes. All right. I'm just going to run up on them. I'm assuming I'm within distance because of the whole map situation. Um, and because it's a move like that, I have to grapple first, right? Yep, it is a grapple check. So you can roll athletics or acrobatics because you are a pro wrestler. You can choose to use strength or dexterity. And the same is true for the skeletons because they're defending. Uh, I'm going to use acrobatics just because it's got a higher chance. Here we go. Well, even though you rolled under 10, the skeleton rolled worse. <laughs> so describe how you use acrobatics to get this skeleton in the clinch. Okay, so uh, I'm going over and I want to get momentum. So like I do like a, a cartwheel into a front flip <laughs> and I go straight um, from his legs and I tuck under him. So like as I'm doing the like little dip into the like uh, to the forward flip, I like tumble and pull up on him. And now I got his like uh, skeleton crotch to my face because that's how power bomb starts. The rest of your party sees this happen. It is amazing to watch a true master at work. And Bunny has really laid this out. Uh, and the skeleton is is grappled and ready for whatever would come next. Uh, we are now looking at Silva. Hey, flex on us. Uh, for the moment, I'm gonna keep my distance and cast mage armor on myself. Which is my new spell. Oh. Except in my case, it's called snake armor. <laughs> You've got snake armor, and so your dexterity is a 13 plus the three. So now your armor class is 16. This is a really solid armor class. Yeah. Do you run up to them to get within like a melee striking range, or are you hanging back? What's your plan? Um, I think I'm going to stay about 30 feet back for the moment. So like a rangy distance. Yeah. As the dim light of the bioluminescent spores fades out on the ground surrounding the skeleton's feet, they all have their swords in their hands, looking for something, someone to stab, and there's only one person within range, and that's Bunny. How many How many skeletons are there? There are five. Oh, it's a Royal Rumble, huh, fellas? All right, bring it on. Well, the skeleton that you have grappled uh, will have disadvantage on this, and it has dropped its sword, so it's just going to, to swing a fist at you. It's all good. Ineffective, uh, by the way. <laughs> what is Bunny's armor class? AC-15, sir. All right, so the remaining four skeletons all slash at you. Get out of here. They slash at you. Get out of here. They swing their sword. Get out of here. And they, one more. Get the heck out of here. Yes. Wow, <laughs> nice. Yeah. You dodge your head to the left and to the right. You can't touch me in powerbomb mode. I'm a Voltron, bitch. And I yell out. <laughs> Damn. Wendell, this scene has unfolded in front of you. And for a moment, you don't try to answer in your head what a Voltron is. <laughs> There's no time to think about what that means. <laughs> I begin digging. Wendell is going to run up to the first skeleton, whatever's closest, and uh, burrow directly underneath it. Okay. Yeah, you can do that. You can close that distance. Cool. You have a burrow speed? That's awesome. Yes. Look at my boy Wendell. 
And basically, I'm just trying to get him to sink into the ground, get his attention, get him to come for me. You get close <laughs> enough so that you can run, and then you dive like Bugs Bunny does and digs the hole really fast. <laughs> nice! And you burrow <laughs> underneath the skeleton, and just as your turn comes to an end, the skeleton's feet start to fall into the hole that you've, you're digging underneath it. So you're, you're going to be joined by a skeleton in your hole in just a moment. Damn, that's... Ballsy. Bunny and Clubhead. Whoever wants to go first, you guys decide on your own. Do you want to try your fairy fire again? I don't think it would negatively impact me, right? No, it will. It, it affects everything. Uh, and, and if they've surrounded you, then uh, then I'm definitely not going to cast that on you. Okay. Uh, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use uh, my action to activate my symbiotic entity. So instead of wild shaping the type of druid that I am, uh, I can choose to surround myself with uh, a bunch of spores that cha I channel magic into the spores and then they basically like make me stronger and tougher uh, and more lethal uh, for a time. So I will do symbiotic entity and then I will move up to melee to try to help get them off of uh, Bunny. And as a bonus action, I will cast Shillelagh on my staff. All right. Bunny, now you get a shot at doing a power bomb on this thing. Oh, and I just go whole hog wild. And I mean, I'm surrounded. I can't like potentially try to slam them into another skeleton. That's probably too far-fetched, right? No, they're right there. Why not? Whoop. Try it. Do Ooh. it. Uh, I'm going to aim for one of the skeletons and hit him with the power bomb as well. Here we go. Oh. <sighs> you leap up into the air trying to hold this skeleton underneath you so you can power bomb it on top of another skeleton and your grip slips okay and the skeleton flies out of your hands and you land you're not prone you land kind of superhero landing style but the skeleton is unarmed <sighs> he has slipped away my hubris um can I activate one of my uh, tough guy points yeah as I'm down on in my superhero puzzle I start mumbling what's cool What's cool to being cool? What's cool to being cool? Ice cold! And then I'm all pepped up for the next time. It's my turn. Are you going ice cold in a defensive sense, or are you going to go ice cold in an offensive sense? I'm going ice cold in a defensive sense. Okay. And I'll get offensive next time. I got two of them now. That was my upgrade. All right. That makes me mad that that one slipped out of my friend's cool move. So I'm going to cast Chaos Bolt at it. Nice. Oh, get it. You see Bunny try to power bomb a skeleton. You don't know what that. You don't know what it's called, but it was impressive. It didn't work. What do you do? It's called a Voltron. <laughs> I'm assuming a nine is not a hit. Oh man. Well, what damage type were you trying to do? I would have probably done. Uh, you got a six and a five. Lightning. Uh, this lightning bolt uh, blasts out of Silbeth's hands, and it just narrowly misses. It weaves in between all of the skeletons and Bunny and doesn't hit a single one of them. Do you uh, move? Do you have any bonus actions? I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna stay where I am for the moment. <laughs> we can't hit! <laughs> we can't hit! <laughs> um, at the beginning of the skeleton's turns, it activates one of my other abilities. So I am surrounded by invisible necrotic spores that are harmless until I unleash them on a creature nearby. You got this, dog. Yeah, I can use this reaction when a creature starts its turn within 10 feet of me. And so the one that we've all been trying to kill, but who has managed to successfully evade all of our attacks, is going to have to make a constitution saving throw. They got a 12. 
Yes, it failed! <laughs> oh, yeah, get ready for it! Oh, oh, Jason, that skeleton is so fucked, because watch this. Oh. Watch <laughs> this. Geep. It takes four damage. Boop. Hey, that's Whoop. something. <laughs> I rolled four on 2d6. Oh, kill me. Just kill me. All right, your spores launch at this uh, skeleton who has evaded a power bomb and a lightning strike, and it's, it's an amazing skeleton, to be honest. <laughs> it's got it going on, uh, and the, the spores invade its bones, and you can see it crumble ever so slightly. Cool. And then it turns, and it sees where the spores have come from, and it runs at Clubhead with its rusty short sword at its side. And it swings at you, getting a 17. Ow. Oh, jeez. Dang it, that's a hit. That's exactly my armor class. This skeleton pokes at you haphazardly, but with remarkable accuracy, he stabs you right in your belly for five points of piercing damage. Okay, so that doesn't get through all my temporary hit points. I still have three left. Excellent. The skeleton that Wendell has burrowed underneath uh, descends a couple of feet into this hole, but it doesn't know what's happening to it, and it just lunges its short sword into the dirt, ineffectively trying to stab whatever is underneath it. Uh, but it misses, of course. The other three skeletons that are there are still paying attention to Bunny, however, and they will all take a swing at the wrestler. The first one gets a 23 to hit, a 17 to hit, Ooh. and a 20 to hit. Oh, oh they man up the last time. <sighs> Oh, so, no. Bunny, you take a grand total I... of 15 points as all three of them stab into you at the same time, creating a bunny shish kebab. But you have that ice-cold uh, damage resistance. You're cold as ice. So instead of taking 15 damage, you take seven piercing damage. That's exactly why you go ice-cold, baby. Thank God. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're no selling them like the ultimate warrior, dude. That's handy. You got any more for me? Slap my own chest. <laughs> All right, Wendell, a skeleton's legs have appeared in front of you in your burrow. Yes. And now you will find out that my ass is deadly, skeleton. <laughs> I attack the skeleton with my butt. Oh, snap. With the butt of, the butt of your butt? Yes. <laughs> All right. I got a powerful butt. You got a hard ass. Just, just for anybody who's tuning in for the first time, Wendell is a wombat. Folk. So that's why he can attack with his butt. 16. As you swing your thick, delicious rump at these bony legs in front of you, you hear a snap and a snap. Roll your damage. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be 13 points of damage. 4d4 damage? 4d4 Hell with your yes. butt? Yep. The rest of the skeleton crumbles <laughs> as the life energy that was propelling this uh, undead uh, evaporates in front of you. You have destroyed the first of these five skeletons. Good job. Doesn't even have to make a constitution saving throw because he's ah. dead. The power of the ass, my friends. Wow. Wendell, you feel quite inspired by that uh, maneuver, so you have inspiration, my friend. Yes. Clubhead and Bunny, same turn, same time. I'm going to go. I'm going to use my inspiration, which I got many episodes of Go, and I'm going to attack with my shillelagh. Here we go. I have advantage, so I got a 15. All right. Are you attacking the skeleton that's already been wounded, the one that's in front of you trying to uh, harm you? Yes, I'm attacking that one. And because of my spores, I deal an extra 1d6 poison damage. So it takes 10 points of damage. And that skeleton collapses in front of you. Boom! 
Boom. Ching. Bunny's turn, unless Clubhead is going to do something else. I'm dead. I'm pulling out my club seat, and I'm just going to get to whack. And I'm going to just... I see how easily they're broken now that I realize, oh, bones are just bones. So I'm going to use my club seat. And here we go. Ah, oh, yeah, wow. there we go. Stop playing with me, boy. 20 to hit. Six. Six damage. And as you've seen with Wendell and Clubhead, skeletons are vulnerable to bludgeoning damage, and it collapses in a pile of bones. Hey. Now, I have a question. Yeah. So because of the, like, improvised weapons thing, I can use my bonus action to strike again, it says. Can I do that? Yes. There's another skeleton right next to you. I mean, listen, he's just going to catch the same work one more time for the one time. <laughs> Woo! Get off of me. Get off of me. <laughs> this club seat's doing a lot of work. <laughs> Bam, another skeleton goes down. There's only one left. Silbeth, you got this. Take it home, queen. All right. I'm casting a chaos bolt with advantage. Hey, let's get it. 14. That is a hit. Yay! And it looks like it's 15 points of lightning damage. <laughs> wow. The lightning sizzles and crackles as it flies out of your fingertips. Now you've gotten your range sorted out. Now you know what you're doing. And this skeleton explodes as bone fragments fly everywhere. Oh, sheesh. Whoa. And as you look, yeah. as you look in the dirt at the ground oh, man. next to these skeletons, it's an old medallion, <gasps> perhaps bronze. Oh. It's tarnished. It's very tarnished. The leather strap is barely holding on. And uh, there are all kinds of damage marks all over this thing. It's been, it's, it's might have been buried with the skeleton for a long time. It looks like a sun or a star. Oh! And that is where we'll end this episode of the Valley of Green Gold. Ooh. Man! Hey! Whoop whoop! Wow! Our best combat so far. Great. That fight really turned around once we started, you know, hitting them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually. <laughs> Actually fighting, yes. Yeah, it took it, it took a little while to warm up, but yeah. That was the reason. There's a reason it's called a fight. Man, man look, <laughs> I want to wrestle so damn bad, but I don't know why I was like, yeah, power bomb a skeleton. I don't know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> we realized it was a bit of a short episode, so we want to give you something extra special. We asked our Patreon supporters if they had any questions for us regarding Rated RPG, uh, about Valley of Green Gold, or about our characters, or about role-playing in general. And so we've split off into two groups. Uh, Aaron and Dion are joining me. Hello, guys. Yeah. Hey, what's good? Well, first thing that's good is that you guys survived your fight against the skeletons. Yeah, definitely. It was close there, but we're here. Yeah, I'm glad you guys didn't die. <laughs> It was your first combat with Silbeth, so all four of you together. And actually, one of our first questions was from Ranger Ron, and he asked, when are we going to see Wendell's butt attack? Yeah, exactly. I saw that question, and I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm so glad that in this combat that happened so everybody could kind of see... You know, that uh, Wendell's actually useful for something. He's not just a, a idiot that runs around not knowing what's happening and <clears throat> falling on his head. He's actually, he's got some skills. And as soon as he learns how to read, he'll have some spells as well. But <laughs> um, his Wombat Folk Butt Defense is what it's officially called. Um, this is a very specific skill that Wombat Folk possess. Yeah. And so they can dig, obviously, but... Um, what's cool about this butt defense is that there's a bunch of resistances to attacks that you get, um, if, especially if you take the dodge action. But there's also the burrowing skill, 
which I have a burrow speed of 10 feet. It's wide enough for a small-sized creature to enter. Medium-sized creatures need to squeeze. And if I'm attacked from the rear, which is what happened, the skeleton came at me from, you know, came at my butt, had advantage on my attack to him. And if uh, it's successful, I get 44 bludgeoning damage. And this didn't happen, of course, because the skeleton was killed instantly by my massive ass. <laughs> Normally, the creature has to succeed on a DC-12 con saving throw or be knocked unconscious. Yeah, you know, it sounds a little overpowered on its surface, 4d4 damage, but it does require that the creature get into the burrow with you. Mm -hmm. And when you burrowed under the skeleton and forced it to happen, hey, you know, that had to be rewarded. Yeah, you did it. And I, I, I thought about that because I was like, I need to take advantage of this attack, but how am I going to make it work? And I thought, well, if I can get the skeleton to come after me into the hole, then I got this made and I can do, you know, some mega damage. And so that was that was awesome. Yeah, I think it's an interesting twist for a wizard to have, you know, melee attacks like that. And, and speaking of melee attacks, Bunny DePayne, Dion, when we created Bunny, I, and I added a bunch of uh, actual professional wrestling maneuvers to the list because we wanted Bunny to have all of the pro wrestling moveset. And which is something I really loved about the character, which is why I kind of still feel like I'm floundering a little bit as I'm learning the moves because it's like, in my head, initially, I was like, I just want to power bump him through the fucking dirt. But that's not how a wrestler works. You got to clinch him up, just like if you've seen any like WWE match, right? And... I think I've relied a lot more on, like, basic strikes so far, or when we follow, is it the zombie or the lizard? The drop kick worked really well. Like, learning, like, how to get better with the clinching is something I'm really thinking about. Because at some point, I want to do a figure four leg lock. Like, I have all these moves that I saw as a kid that I do want to reenact, but... And that comes with, like, having to do two separate roles for it, man. Dion, Squid Lips had a question back in February regarding Bunny's backstory episodes is, you remember we beeped out your character's birth name. He, he has a lot of different names, Bunny, Ice Cold, Slab Monsoon. But what is his real name? His actual name is Orlando, yeah. Uh, named after his grandfather who had passed, um... I don't know if you remember from my early episodes, like, he had the whole thing of not feeling like he was living up to the legacy of his father or his family, and especially being named after his granddad, who was, like, the guy, you know, really established the family. He's like, I can't be that, so I'll just be Bunny. Awesome. Yeah. Well, one mystery has been solved. Aaron, Nellify asked, what other tabletop RPGs have you enjoyed playing? Role-playing games. I've played, oh, throughout my life, I've played, um, obviously, a lot of D&D through all the eras. Um, also played uh, the TMNT role-playing game back in the day. That was fantastic. One of my favorite things ever. This is like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like post-apocalypse that I played. It's really fun. You can just be a mutated animal. And the vehicles are a big part of it, you know, like post-apocalypse vehicles that you set up with guns and everything. And uh, that was fantastic. Um, but we've also done, of course, a lot of other role-playing games on the original rated RPG over on the Blame Society Films channel where we uh, played a different one every time we did the show. So I think we played probably like 10 or 12 different role-playing systems. 
Yeah, and pretty much all of them are multiple episodes. You can see all 40 of the original Rated RPG YouTube series episodes on our website. We have a link, ratedrpgpodcast.com. Just click on About, and uh, you can read the history of Rated RPG there and find the link. Definitely check it out if you haven't. Yeah, you know, actually, that leads me to uh, an interesting idea, which is playing other role-playing systems. Now, I know that the the main thing I think that prevents us from actually doing it is because somebody would have to learn the hell out of whatever the system is. But I, I, my dream is that someday we will be able to branch out a little bit, try some other RPG systems. For example, I know that there is a, there's a Rick and Morty uh, one. There is uh, the, my one I really, really want to play, which is a Dishonored role-playing game. Dishonored, the video game, which is my favorite video game. Uh, top three video game of all time, and I'd love to play that one. And I believe there's a Fallout one, which would probably be really fun too. So, you know, there's all these other RPGs that I've, I dream of playing someday. Whether or not um, we can make that happen, who knows? Aaron, Kate Slauson asked about character voices and how we develop them. I wanted to note that the thing I like about Wendell is that you can hear him thinking in how he speaks. Yeah, there's just a slight you know, tone to it that's a little bit different than my regular voice. It's more like, hi, I'm Wendell. You know, I'm very optimistic about the world, and I, and I think everything is going to be very exciting. You know, he's also got a dark side, and it's kind of like it's along the lines of Soggy Balls from Skyrim for Pimps. Um, I think that it, that voice, I just sort of naturally lapse into it when I'm, maybe whenever I'm playing like a, you know, like a humanoid animal or something. And Dion Bunny is kind of the opposite. He's he's not geared so much to thinking as he is geared to action. Very much so, man. Um, My idea for like his energy is kind of like Goku and Dragon Ball Z. Like he's never going to be the guy who like figures out the puzzle besides the impossibilist riddles. But anybody can figure out those riddles. Um. I look at it like he's a straight arrow, right? Like, everyone else's backstories have a lot more going on. He's a dude who has a passion for a thing and wants to share it with the world. So I think even the way I do his voice is just like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. That sounds crazy, but you're my friend. It's things like that. I, I don't know, Dion, if this is Dion not clearly hearing a name or not remembering it, or if it's Bunny not clearly hearing or not clearly remembering character names. And honestly, I don't <laughs> want to know if it's you or your character. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about the podcast. It's, especially because it's like it, this season... It's been so dope that we have as many, like, fans of us to, like, give us that many names. Yeah. But, boy, I was always the guy who remembered faces. So, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little, I'd say it's a little 50-50. So, a lot of times I hear it, but once I'm like, oh, I've already screwed it up. And I imagine Bunny's just, like, such a likable dude. People are just like, yeah, he got close. <laughs> well, uh, Crow <laughs> wanted to hear about our favorite uh, tabletop role-playing moments, either from Rated RPG or in our own home games. Uh, Dion, what is your favorite moment from uh, playing? Oh, man. I think it's my shining moment from uh, Descent into Avernus. How could it not be Brontosaurus Bomb for me? It was just, it was like a mix of like, I had just pretty much got Polymorph. I was like, all right, I've not done any damage. I've basically been on the side just shit talking. And to see how we did it by, we used a unicorn we weren't supposed to have. Uh, like, someone had to, like, put up, like, a levitating thing. It was just all of us coming together for the silliest possible way to win a, like, match. It was awesome. Yeah, that was definitely, that was one of the best moments in any role-playing that I've ever ex experienced. <laughs> that was just, 
Oh man, that was beautiful. Um, one of my favorite moments, and I, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but I, I just I will never forget the moment um, we were playing Vampire the Masquerade on Beer and Board Games, and you were DMing as Morgan Freeman. Yeah. And uh, John Lee's character betrayed Matt and I and left with the this amulet. Um, and and you know when he's they're all vampires, so he went outside the house. He took off with this amulet that we spent the entire time trying to find and and retrieve and he just betrayed us so he went out in the day because the amulet was supposed to protect vampires during the day the amulet was fake it didn't protect him so he stole it from us betrayed us ran out in the sun and fucking like melted and died (laughs) he came back to the door and started pounding on it trying to get back in the house and we wouldn't let him and he died (laughs) it was such a great conclusion to the story (laughs) yes Oh, it was just sublime. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dion and Aaron, for taking some time. Sounds great. Thank you, everybody, for the questions. I'm going to shift over to Brad and Emery to answer some questions now. The first question, what other tabletop RPG games have you played other than D&D? And we will start with Brad. Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm probably going to uh, refer to a bunch of old school ones uh, that may have newer editions, but uh, when I first started learning role-playing games, I played a lot of old TSR games. So I played Boot Hill. I played Gamma World. Uh, I I played Gangbusters. um, And then ones outside of those, I played Traveler. Um, I have played Call of Cthulhu. I tried... uh, I tried the Star Wars role-playing game very briefly. I've played RuneQuest. I've played the GURPS system. Uh, that That's probably a, a good sampling of what I've tried. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, I, I have played D&D uh, starting with 3.5, then 4th, then 5th, and then uh, I've also played Pathfinder as well and Starfinder. Um, Then as far as like the other systems, I have done uh, a little bit of Shadowrun. Um, Not much, just a little bit. I liked it, uh, but I just can't seem to get a full game, like a full campaign of that going for whatever reason. Uh, I played a little bit of The End of the World, which is a fun, simple uh, game. I played some of the Warhammer 40,000 RPGs, uh, like... Death Watch and Dark Heresy. Um, gosh, is there anything else that I'm forgetting? There's probably a couple that I'm forgetting as well. Oh, a little bit of uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Love that. Um, that was good. Oh, I, I've also I also played Everyone Is John, which is an amazing game. Uh, and I've played Kobolds Ate My Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Great name. Yes. Definitely. Next question. Uh, Do you guys have backup characters just in case? Well, I, being me and obsessed with making characters and min-maxing and and all this bullshit, I have infinite backup characters that are basically ready to go whenever. Uh, But they are, for the most part, just like stats on paper. They don't have any personality or, or backstory. I actually kind of am weird. I, I will create a character's like 
stats first and like their class and their ability scores and all that. And then after that has happened, then I will create their personality. I know a lot of people do it the other way around. Brad, is is there a backup to in case Silbeth Wild magics herself into oblivion? Well, so similar to Emery, I love rolling up characters. Uh, so I have a ton of characters just sitting around. I, I, I typically don't make a backup character specifically to back up a specific character unless I need to. So yes, I have backup characters, but none of them were specifically designed to take the place of Sylvath. And uh, just to clarify, I don't actually have like the character sheets written out. I just have like ideas, you know, like I've always wanted to play this type of character, you know, and I know I would how exactly I would do that. Have you ever played uh, for for either of you, but Emery, since you mentioned it, do you, have you ever played a race of character or a type of character so much that the people who play with you a lot kind of associate you with that type of character? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely human for uh, me. Okay. I guess it could start being half orc. Uh, I kind of gravitate towards humans and half orcs for some reason. And I think human, it's partially because humans just tend to be really powerful stat wise in games. And I've been accused of being a power gamer, a min maxer, that kind of thing, which I, I, I kind of humbly accept that title, <laughs> but I like to think I'm the non-toxic version of that. You know, how about you, Brad? Probably in my, in my younger days. Yes. Like in, in my younger days, I would either play some kind of hulking race, like a, you know, a half orc or, or a Goliath. Yeah. Probably a barbarian or fighter or, kind of a, a elvish uh, spellcasters. But, you know, a- as the years have gone on, I I really try to play around with different things that I haven't tried before. So yeah. I think at my core, I like being spellcasters, but but I do like to try mm. new things. Like I, I, I actually was thinking of this idea, you know, for like season three uh, today, where I would basically play like a, like a peacenik Maybe like cleric or some kind of holy warrior who's just like basically the medieval equivalent of a surfer dude. <laughs> that could be really fun. I uh, I like that idea a yeah. lot. I, I think more than a race that I always play, there is a, uh, a a type of character that I never play, and that is any type of elf. I just, I, for some reason, have no interest in playing elves. Yeah, and see, like, I think I'm the opposite of you, Emery. I almost never play humans. Because I, I think in my mind, it's like, well, if we're in a fantasy setting, why would I play a human, you know? <laughs> uh, here's a question for Emery. If Clubhead dies, could he be reborn by way of the fungus, either as a pure fungal entity or by infecting a recent corpse, perhaps even your own corpse? This is from Mongoose. Oh, that's an interesting question. I feel like that would mostly be up to Jason, um, but I, I think personally, mold is notorious for being really difficult to fully get rid of. Unless you're trying to grow actual mushrooms. If you're trying to grow mushrooms, mold will kill the hell out of your mushrooms, and they do a fine yeah. job of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, okay. Well, actually, yeah, you bring up a good point. I said mold is difficult to kill, but, you know, we, we, we say there, there's a difference between fungus and mold. And uh, J- Jason, what is the difference in your mind between uh, fungus and mold, especially in how it relates to clubhead? Now, because if, that could play a part in this. From a scientific point, like I, I've done very little homework, but I, I, I was interested once in growing oyster mushrooms. So here's, here's my thought. Uh, clubhead is a fungal construct. And the type of fungus that he is, the type of mushroom that he is, is is a very special kind of mushroom. It's highly intelligent and sentient. And why or how? Who knows? Maybe there's an answer to that question somewhere in the Valley of Green Gold. But uh, your average like bacteria or anything like that could disrupt a fungal colony. So if enough of the living fungus that makes clubhead clubhead dies because of damage or whatever then he sort of got to restore all of that mycelium and all of that, uh, the fungus, the fruiting bodies, that, all that stuff needs to come back. So if you're killed, if you're killed, maybe like, you know, you can send spores out and you'll roll a die and hey, if you roll high enough or whatever, maybe, maybe, yeah. I, I love having the, the possibility of almost anything happening. If it makes sense, if it makes sense, I I feel like it would be kind of interesting if Clubhead, if he wanted to be restored to life, if you wanted to restore him to life, something like Raise Dead probably wouldn't work, or at least if you did use Raise Dead on him, it would bring back 2.0. You know what I mean, and not Clubhead. That would be a really cool uh, twist. But there's an alternative way to bring him back if you wanted to bring Clubhead back that would involve not raise dead, but it would involve like, you know, going and finding more of that fungus and like putting it onto his body or, you know, something. Yeah, yeah, it could be because maybe that part of Clubhead that gives the the additional intellect, maybe that is 2.0's lingering uh, artificer magic. Yeah, I don't know. that's interesting I mean, to explore, sense. and I hope we never find out the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because what makes him super unique is that combination of being a construct and a, a living colony of fungus, you know? Like, I almost think if the fungus brought him back from the dead, it, I almost feel like he would just be basically a non-intelligent fungal creature at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting to have him come back as like an undead fungus NPC? That would be very interesting. So I asked Aaron and Dion the same question. I'm going to ask you guys, what is a favorite memory of a tabletop role-playing game experience? I actually really love when the stakes are so high that we're very near death or even there is death. I mean, so so one of one of my highlights has to be that vehicle chase where we where we ran into the fire tornadoes. Yeah. Um I I just there was so much tension in that and there was so much back and forth and the and the fact that it ended with with a yeah. Almost two character deaths really cuz Glubjeg was Glubjeg was very close to death also. That that is a moment in relatively recent memory of my role playing career that really stands out to me. Emery, how about you? So, I'm going to talk about two 
uh, because they're both kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Because I really appreciate like role playing and stuff. And I also really appreciate clever rules interactions. So as far as clever rules interactions goes, one of my most memorable moments was when I was running a game and one of the players had cast haste on himself. And he, uh, this is a fifth edition uh, haste. And so one of the enemies went and uh, they have this ability to not fully mind control somebody, but to force them to do something kind of like a marionette type of thing. And so I was like, okay, oh, you failed to save. Well, I'm going to force you to use your move to move over the ledge and fall into the lava. And the player was like, oh no. And I was like, yeah, here we go. And I rolled all the damage and it was like a hundred damage. And he, you know, he was going to be like unconscious and stuff. He somehow stopped the haste from being on himself. And then haste has a rider that says, if once haste ends, then you're stunned. I, I, I think I've heard this story from you. Didn't you say he just voluntarily stopped concentrating on it? And so he couldn't move, which meant that the marionette thing couldn't force him to move. So he stunned himself to prevent himself from falling over the edge. Ah. And I just thought that was really clever. The other story, I'll I'll try to make it quick, but I was, I, I like playing like trickster characters and I was playing a game at a, like a, a local game store with a bunch of like new players and, you know, I'm an experienced player and I was doing a, a module that I had actually DM'd before. So I kind of knew a lot that was going on in it. And I was playing a wizard, really smart wizard. And we got to this room that had a whole bunch of like weird artifacts looking things like, you know, uh, it turns out that they're mainly just like spell components. But these new players didn't recognize them. And so they were asking me, like, what are these things? Like, do you know, Mr. Wizard? And I was like, yeah. Oh, well, this is this. And I was just making shit up. And one of the things was a petrified Nothic's eye. Uh, and Nothics are these weird monsters that have, like, one eye. And I, I, they're creepy and, and yeah, wizardy. They read thoughts. Exactly. Exactly. You know them. And so... <laughs> I lied and I was like, oh, this is a petrified Nothic's eye. If you eat this, then you gain true sight for a minute. <laughs> and everybody at the table was like, whoa. And somebody put it in their bag. And then later in the campaign, the dude ate it. <laughs> like, <laughs> because he was expected to gain true sight. The DM, it was Kat, actually. She was the DM. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Did they get, did, yeah. did they get true sight? No, no, they just had a horrible stomach ache. (laughs) The moments when you have to do something that's the most essential component of who your character is, regardless of whether it turns out good or bad, like those are the memorable moments, you know, when it's like either you, you, you do something that turns out horribly, but it was so true to your character that it will go down in history or... Or you, or you do something good that uh, that saves the day. You know, I love those kind of moments. Yeah. Well, we definitely have some of those moments lying ahead of us in the Valley of Green Gold. Thank you, Emery and Brad, for hanging out and answering some questions. Uh, thanks, everybody, for those questions. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun answering them. And that is episode 19 of the Valley of Green Gold. Hey, if you enjoy the Valley of Green Gold, please share it with folks who might enjoy it, review it, and rate it so that other people who find it can see that it's, you know, that you like it. We wouldn't produce this podcast unless we had support, and we do have support from lovely patrons like Risky Business, Christian Go, and Alex Shermerhorn. 
Long live the gorgeous Phoenix Brigade. Members in good standing include Jerry Vite, Elizabeth Parcells, and Mage. We've got some sad news today, as we've learned that Velociraptor and Jedi went off to investigate that dang tower in the mountains. You've probably heard of it. Some folks say it's haunted by the spirit of a wizard who built the uh, tower through magic. And other people say, no, 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 the wizard is dead and gone. Some people say the wizard's alive and he's in the tower. Anyway, the tower gets taller every day, and so people go to investigate, and that's what Velociraptor and Jedi did. They went poking around over there, and some boulders fell on them and smushed them. So, into the bucket of friends they go. See all of our Patreon tiers and help make this podcast at RatedRPGPodcast.com. On behalf of everyone around Ye Olde Gaming Table, thank you for enjoying the Rated RPG Podcast.